0: State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this second season episode, we speak with Jason Bade, co-founder of Pico, about the state of CRM. Pico provides email and payment tools for audience relationship management. Let's begin.
1: Hi, Jason. How are you? Hey, bye. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on, Jason. Um, I know there's been a lot of solutions around subscription management in the past year. but I guess today we're going to be speaking about CRM management because I think that's not really managing the customer journey is something that we've not tackled and not a lot of people are speaking about. But before we go into that, congratulations on your fundraising round.
0: Thank you very much. We are thrilled to have Stripe as a significant partner with us in, in what I think is building the next wave of journalism and publishing. Stripe's motto is to expand the GDP of the internet. And we think of that in a little, slightly narrower terms, but we're trying to expand the GDP of publishing. And uh, it, we're going through a rough patch now, but I think there's going to be a lot of new markets and new opportunities and new demand that is now going to be able to be served by tools like ours. So it's, it's really a good match. And they're an amazing company, of course.
1: Of course, they are, they've, done, they've done a lot of things and they've opened up a new, way, a new way of doing things in terms of payment management as well. But let's get to know a bit more about you and about Pico. So, can you give us the background about you guys and yourself?
0: Sure. Well, so my background is in behavioral economics. My co founder Nick's background is product design. And we both, you know, behavioral economics does deal with areas and issues of design a lot. So, we both have a very keen sense of design we joke that i have i have really good taste (laughs) so i can tell him when something doesn't look quite right and he should go back and do it again but um he's a superb designer and um you know we were sitting around in this was 2016 really actually end of 2015 we were thinking a lot about how to us the user experience of paying for news content was really bad um and so caring a lot about the news and, and reading a lot of news ourselves and uh, Nick's sister's a journalist. So we're hearing about the problems from the newsroom side as well. We thought this was actually somewhere that we could add a lot of value. And so we decided, we knew that reader revenue was going to be the future. We saw what was happening with the decline of ad revenue and the, and the you know, the story everyone knows about Google and Facebook. And so we, we, Decided to work on this. And, uh, our, the first version of the company was not Pico. It was not a CRM. It was a company called Penny Pass, and we were focused on micropayments. It ends up, we, we over prescribed the solution. So we knew Rita Revenue was going to be the solution, but we went a little too far and said, oh, it's going to be micropayments. And we actually got, um, a lot of funding for some really amazing investors in Silicon Valley who, weren't sure if micropayments were going to work, but they thought it would be worth at least another try. And it's obviously in the news a lot, especially right now, about, um, you know, with Blendle and other things. We can get into this, and there's a, there's a whole other podcast about why micropayments don't work, but we gave it a good shot. And in doing so, we discovered that there's a significant stack missing for reader revenue to, to work. And so, obviously, micropayments being a flavor of reader revenue, we, we experience that that missing piece of the stack firsthand with our pilot customers, and that is a CRM that is designed for readers, for an audience. CRMs are really not designed for a large audience that is going from anonymous to known. Let's say they're signing up for a newsletter or they're signing into your site, and then eventually to a, some sort of conversion event, whether that's a membership or a subscription or a donation or an event ticket or e-commerce purchase and uh, this hole was so gaping because crm tools to date have been built mostly for sales teams to kind of manually move uh, prospects through, through a funnel and so we said hey this is this is something that we can we can build and make make really good
1: that's that's awesome like i mean um like that's how I'm, i've been looking for something like that similar as well i'm um, not to Yeah, I've been looking for something similar. You try to customize CRMs, and a lot of them either you have to look at it based on a company level, or there's always always a disconnect there. But um, how do you think the current... Well, what you
0: end up having is most people use um, MailChimp. Um, Sorry, what you end up having uh, is just most people use MailChimp as their CRM um, or some other ESP. Uh, And that doesn't work. Like MailChimp does not integrate really well into your site. It is an email tool at the end of the day, and it's not really even built for content. But of course, with most sites monetizing via ads today, you just no one this tool. There hasn't been enough demand for this layer of the stack. Actually, a really good analogy is that we look at our e-commerce friends, who have very sophisticated customer tech, which is all the marketing stuff and the payment stuff, and you know keeping track of of a customer's transaction history and and so on. But that whole customer tech stack does not exist for news or publishers. And that's the that's the gap
1: that we tried to fill. What other examples have you seen around how current publishers use CRM or, you know, customer management relationship, customer management, I guess, for subscriptions?
0: Well, for subscriptions, I, I guess I have to break it down into, like, the various solution types, which okay. have been Pretty like siloed, which is funny because like a site accepting a donation, and a site accepting a membership, and a site charging a paid subscription um, or a paid newsletter, those are all kind of the same. And in our view, they should be leveraging the same tech stack because if if all those customers are using the same tech stack, the way enterprise software works, the more customers a software company like Pico has, the more features we can build and invest. And and spread the cost across all our customers. That's why you should never build your own software. You should have a software company for the most part, unless of course that software makes you really unique and differentiated as a as a as a um, you know for your customers. But most publishers are not trying to you know sell anything that requires custom software to their customers. They're just trying to sell really good information or build a really high quality community or whatnot. So the first thing I think that dismayed us was that. Everyone is using different tools depending on the type of payment they're accepting, which which is insane. like donations are a different type of payment in crm than paid subscriptions than memberships and that also that that was the first thing. and so, like in the donation category, we see a lot of sites just using PayPal buttons that like take you off site. the user experience is awful. There are some tools like Donorbox that you know have a nice drop uh, or pop up modal that you can use but anyway so that's in that category we also see some folks that are part of like larger nonprofits that are using really clunky expensive crm software that can is more designed for nonprofits that like have grant processes or that are receiving checks in the mail from donors and that they're sending appeals to in the mail and that's great but that's really clunky software for a state of the art web publisher try to be using to solicit someone to make a donation on the site. So that's, that's like the donation silo. Uh, Memberships, subscriptions, you know, we've seen a bunch of uh, decent, decent quality plugins. Memberful, a PM Pro, um, there's, there's a couple of others. Uh, I think, um, Restrict Content Pro, uh, I think the issue with all these is that they only start keeping track of the customer from a CRM point of view when that customer pays. And to us, the idea of having no funnel on top of that point of purchase is just completely wrong. That, that's like that, that is antiquated when you look when I, you know, going back to what I was saying, comparing that to an e-commerce, you know, modern e-commerce sites that are building a very sophisticated funnel long before that person makes a purchase. And so to us, like the, the funnel really needs to begin with the email newsletter sign-up. And that's where we said, well, what we need to do is integrate the email newsletter sign up into the funnel. It's like, that's the moment that someone, quote unquote, joins your site. And they're, you're essentially asking them to register in one click to your site so that they can get the newsletter. And that once they're logged in, they now have a relationship with your site. We can keep track of how often they're visiting the site. We can have a sense of what, what content categories that person is reading. And that then sets... The publisher up to do really effective marketing to get them to actually convert into a subscription, or into a membership, or into a donation, or whatever it is. But these the existing tools they might handle a paywall aspect really well, but you know they basically start doing their job the moment someone has already committed to becoming a customer. And to us, that's just not good enough. So we we focus on the the part above that.
1: Why do you have um, I guess on your website? audience relationship management as opposed to CRM, I guess, wouldn't you want publishers to really get that across that this is what you guys do? I mean, or is this something that you're trying to encourage a new terminology or what are your thoughts around that?
0: I think it is a new term. Obviously we run the risk of it being a marketing gimmick and that's not our intention. Like I, I was really torn when it came to how to describe what Pico is because you know, you're probably the same way. I hate going to some software site or whatever. It's just all jargon. And you have absolutely no idea what this site does um, or what the tool does. And so we didn't want to do that. Um, And so, you know, one of the the slogans we use is very concrete and very easy to understand. It's intelligent pop-ups and landing pages to, I think it says, power your audience business um, or to grow your audience business. So like on one side, on one hand, we're like very concrete about, what are we? We are pop-ups and landing pages to like help you build an audience relationship. Um, on the other hand, I do think that it's important to sort of anchor the industry on a new category of software, which is not just CRM or not just ESP, so to speak, but is actually a subset of CRM, which is, well, what is, this, what is a CRM for large audiences? And it's not a CRM. I think every CRM tool to date is optimized around manual input. And I think the idea of having a, I mean, with some automation, of course, like especially, they've all moved in the direction of, of automated flows or like trying to automatically uh, update the CRM when you send an email or receive an email or when the person might, let's say clicks on your a website. But that's still all based around accounts. And I think um, our point of view is that a publisher is going to have thousands, if not tens of thousands, or hundreds of thousands, or millions of audience members. And they need a CRM that is designed for that. And we need to call that something different so that they don't try to uh, make HubSpot or Salesforce into something that those tools really are not designed for.
1: Makes sense. How did did Stripe realize the potential of what you guys are doing and and, and to make that decision to invest in you guys?
0: Yeah, so I mean, obviously, I can't speak for uh, John, Patrick, and the amazing team there at Stripe, but I think they see what we see, which is this is a segment of the internet that just hasn't really had really high-quality tools, especially aimed at the small-medium business, you know, size of the market, the SMB part of the market to allow it to flourish. So Stripe's all about infrastructure that allows companies to get started almost no fixed cost and then grow. Pico's the same way. You can start for Pico on Pico for free. We allow you to grow your email list. To, you don't pay for anyone until 500 records. Our fee structure is oriented around we only make money when you make money. And, and Stripe's the same way. And so uh, if you look at like Shopify, Shopify is like has dominated the okay, I need a shopping cart store business, and I'm going to launch that online. Uh, and so Shopify has done a great job with that. Um, Stripe, obviously, is developer-facing. So if you're building code, like if you're building software, if you have a consumer app like Uber, and you have a big team of engineers that are going to just build the payments solution directly into the product, then you use Stripe. But there's sort of the rest of the pie around, well, what, what is like, what about membership subscription, this sort of stuff, donations? There's just there's there is no Shopify, so to speak, that is of the quality and uh, you know level of comprehensive feature set that sh- and ease of use to set up and do what you want. The Shopify provides its customers, and I think that's really that's really what they see. And obviously, the fact that we we build on top of Stripe uh, means that we're a really good partner. Uh, we're really good partners to each other, and. Uh, uh, You know, the last thing I would say is that they also see that this is going to be a really big space. Um, The publishing market and journalism and all that—it's going through a bit of a crisis right now. Obviously, Uh, you don't need me to tell you or your audience this. But we are seeing white space that was never possible before. You know, just the the example I like to give is: uh, imagine a journalist getting three, four, five hundred families in a school district. To basically pay four or five dollars a month for a professional journalist to cover all of the school district meetings in in that area um, for those families, uh, and then and then only let the paying audience know when something really important is happening and they need to pay attention. It's almost like journalism as a service. I think I think the point is that that's just one example of, or one of our customers. Boise Dev in Idaho is Boise Development News. It's a very specific niche, but you don't need that many paying subscribers to cover its cost. Its cost structure is very efficient, and it's a successful site. It's it's money going into journalism and covering an area that was not covered before because the tools to launch a business like that just didn't exist, or at least they weren't high enough quality to exist in a way that could make that into a really successful business. And that's why I, th- I think the, the Stripe folks see that too. They see that there are there's ton of demand for high quality information, for content, for communities that are anchored by content, and our infrastructure allows those to flourish as the industry kind of goes through this correction. As ads obviously drain in terms of uh, or dry up in terms of the source of revenue, the major source of revenue.
1: Jason, and um, how do you? have you been able to size the market in terms of potential number of customers or market value? or uh, do you know, Like, Because you said that there's a big white space there. Have you been yeah. able to size the opportunity or, or area of energy?
0: Sure. I think it's, it's so early to tell. It, investors like you to try to do this for them. And if you do it, it's kind of an exercise in bullshit because you're trying to transpose an existing market and you're saying, ah, you know, you kind of wave your hand and then you wave it over here and you say, look, it's the same. So, like, if we try to size the media market as it currently stands, that's not correct because it's based on total amount of advertising dollars, largely. And then there's, like, the paid subscription component, too. But guess what? Like, ad dollars are really just a function of attention paid. And what I'm saying is that there's going to and what I, you know, the folks around me and our investors and Stripe and, like, there are going to be new forms of publishing that are primarily um, uh, based on non-engagement. So uh, you are going to sell a subscription to someone, so that you only bother them when something is important. Or maybe the the me- it's going to be a membership into a community that you know the 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 whole basis of the identity of the community is the content, but that a lot of people really don't consume the content every day or all day or or very much and so like as soon as you move away from consumption of that content you you're no longer paid to advertising as being sort of the barometer of how big the space is so then you have to back out and say okay well how much are people willing to pay for either really important information that matters to their job or their passions sports or hobbies or tasks they're trying to accomplish or learn like home renovation or, you know, being a florist or whatever it is. And then also how much much are they willing to pay to be part of communities that are created by content? You know, a, a lot of our local news publishers increasingly feel as much like communities as they do just publishers. We have a B2B site that covers a very niche industry, but it's basically the only site that covers it, and and they feel they are a community. They have a Slack room, they have conference calls, they do live events. So yes, they are doing professional journalism. They have a daily email, they have lots of articles on their site. But if you are a member of this industry and you want to be, you want to be kind of in the thick of this community, you you have to also join join this publisher's site. So I think I think it's too early to tell what the total market size is, just because we're going to see a lot of entrepreneurs like PICO, that didn't exist before, to test out new things. Where, where are there unmet needs that a journalist or a publisher can fill? And we're going to see it happen. Like Imagine every municipality like Boise, um, which is supporting a, a small team, but still um, a small team of, uh, of, a, of a publisher, of journalists, reporting on development and land use in Boise. That's it. So now imagine that multiplied by every municipality. And you can take any other vertical, not not just you know not just planning but um, local schools and all this stuff. there is there is a huge market um, and we are just yet beginning to see what that what that's going to be.
1: Definitely, we'll see what what it brings out. but I think like you mentioned, you guys are trying to in the forefront, so that's much appreciated. People who come to you or if you go down to this SMB publishers, What's some of the barriers what what's some of the things that you have to explain to them to help them realize that this is something that's going to help you look at your customer or membership you know, or their audience cycle end-to-end end and help them with their audience relationship management, I guess?
0: Yeah. I, everyone comes to us at a different state. I think some folks were really helping them transition from an ad model, which is predicated on volume to a model that's based on closer relationships with your your more valuable users. And by valuable, I mean people obviously. Okay? Not, not in a moral sense, but uh, in that case, it's really just encouraging them to set Pico up. So Pico, the first time, like you can use Pico just to drive email signups and manage newsletters, or, you know, help users manage their newsletter preferences without charging for anything. And at least that starts to build the foundation of of your CRM, of your ARM, audience management, to get a sense of like, okay, well, how who, who's most engaged with my audience? And who can I really pay attention to? Oh, who's really engaged? And maybe I'm going to reach out to those users and talk to them and, and figure out what, what could we be selling to you that's not just content? Or what content product could we be selling you that would, that would do a job for you that you'd be willing to pay for. And I, I think too many publishers, like the, the current chapter of transition of this industry right now is we are shifting from a volume engagement ad revenue play to one where, okay, the ads aren't working. Now we're going to just slap a paywall on top of that content. And we're going to produce it in the same way. Maybe we're going to make a little less clickbait you know we're gonna do some more deep dives, but really we're just gonna slap a paywall on the same general product that we've been making all along, which is articles and trying to get people to click on our site every day, and then hopefully they click often enough that they eventually hit the paywall and they're gonna they're gonna pay us. I think that's that's like chapter. That's like the introduction to the next wave of of publishing. I think what we're gonna see is folks figuring out that. Like I like I said, like there is a model of journalism of publishing out there, whereby someone does not read your site every day. In fact, the whole value proposition might be we are looking out for you so that we're only going to let you know when something important happens, um, and we'll do it by SMS maybe. We'll even have a web we'll have an email and then we'll text you and say, hey, there's something you really have to pay attention to. We've been we've been paying attention to it for you to save you time. That is a fundamentally different product model, but it's premised on, okay, we have an audience, that audience is interested in some topic. They, they have trusted us with the whatever expertise we have in covering that topic. And so our job is to figure out all the different jobs that we are uniquely suited to do for that audience and then to sell those products to them. And I think that's, that's the thing that it's really hard for me to walk especially uh, brand new publishers or startups um actually i take that back the the, the startups are easiest to figure that out um, because they're starting to strike from scratch but the sites that are just starting to figure out this transition um it's a hard one you can do it you can definitely do it especially if you kind of like do it in stages like i described but it is difficult to sort of be willing to upend your content editorial model so that it really solves a need that your audience is willing to pay for yeah Uh, so that's tricky and then of course like one of the other things that we have to walk publishers through a lot is um just making use of the data that we have and like making maximum use of picos tools which are very powerful and and can do a really good job at helping you convert uh your email subscribers into paying users of some sort but uh, that's different i think people will learn that over time I'm, i'm more concerned about publishers just Kind of launching reader revenue programs without really thinking through and testing out where it is they, they have a unique value to offer and that people are willing to pay for.
1: That definitely. I think there's that re, major reaction. But I guess once people start switching web and then they have to start thinking more about that and how to better leverage the solutions, and then that, that's where things kick off. But um, if you were. Well, I mean, I
0: think that, like um, a lot of people, sorry, sorry. Um, well, I was just, I, I think a lot of people like they assume, oh, well. 1% conversion or less of my audience into like a paying subscriber that's good. And I guess I guess my view is yes it's great to have a large top of funnel and you are going to have pieces that that obviously drive visitors to your site that are casual and they'll pass through and then they leave. But that it's sort of like like predicate on this idea that well We only are going to convert the people who are reading this 30 times a day, but everyone else is no. It's like such a wrong way to think about to think about building a product. Yes, you're going to have leads, and not everyone's going to convert. That's obvious, but but you should be having a product that it the value proposition is so obvious to even the first visitor that. Uh, they don't need to hit your paywall a dozen times and then begrudgingly convert. Like, that's that's very much, it's just backwards. And so I'm excited. I think those entrepreneurs are going to figure it out and they're going to they're going to build really cool product, business, audience, content models that um, I'm just really excited to see. They're going to be really cool. And I can't wait to see what gets created in the next couple of years.
1: For those type of organizations, how should they look like, in terms of the organization structure and how can they best set themselves up so that the workflow is, is as smooth as possible? So like, do they need to have specific people and roles in the organizations or how, how should they best set themselves up for success?
0: Oh boy, uh, this is wading into a territory that um, I don't have very much expertise on just because I, you know, I, I'm running a software uh, startup which is very different than running a publisher, whether it's an, uh, a legacy publisher, or a transitioning publisher, or a brand new publisher. I guess what uh, the way I would answer that question is, um, I don't think you need to have a dedicated digital person, some big audience development person who like that's really great. If you can support that role, it is a great, it's definitely a role that is needed. But if you're a really small team, I do think that you can manage with some help from tools like ours and and you know uh, good advisors and whatnot. It should be relatively easy for you to still launch and be successful. So, you know, I wouldn't get too caught up in having like this large business side of the organization that exists to try to like optimize all these all these leapers. I think the most important thing is just to to launch and and figure out content that people. Really want and are willing to pay for, and then you can kind of develop your strategies around turning that into a, a growing business later. Other than that, uh, I know people like to talk a lot about the editorial and business divide. I do believe strongly in like in editorial independence. That said, obviously, you know this whole conversation has been about well, really, you should be thinking about information products that you're selling um, that a journalist. Or journalism is uniquely suited to provide and um that's more of a strategic level not a day-to-day level so you can still kind of maintain that wall um but you do need to understand uh, whether or not the product your editorial side is producing is driving business outcomes or not and uh and so that wall is increasingly porous but um yeah other than that i don't have i don't have strong uh strong things to say just that you should have a team that uh that is willing to experiment and test things out and really engage with their with their readers and their audience to figure out
1: what they what they want. I appreciate your openness on the answer and then you kind kind can of being candid about that. Um, so let's move on to really the practical side. I love speaking about providing publishers and the audience some practical solutions they can take away from this and if it's possible Jason it'll be awesome just to look at how we can create products around journalism and communities, particularly because you guys also are bringing on local publishers based on the solutions that you guys offer?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, again, it depends on what state or stage you're at as a publisher coming to Pico. Uh, but I think if you have no idea what you're doing, you just know, gosh, we have an audience, We have some content that works for us now. Or maybe we're really young and we're not even monetizing it yet. I think the first thing every publisher should be doing, and even non-publishers, if you're collecting an email address, you should absolutely not be just collecting that email. You should be registering that user and logging them in. So that's what Pico does. So Pico is a, like the first part of our product for everyone who uses Pico is an all-in-one email registration sign-up and it's all in one click. So someone types in their email, they hit register, and the email, the publisher gets the email, but then that customer immediately gets a magic link that if they click it, it verifies their email, but it also logs them into the site. And it's very clear what's happening to the user. This isn't like secret cooking, tracking kind of stuff. It's saying, no, well, if you want a newsletter, we're asking you to join the community of the site. And of course, like then that user is logged in, they can see what their what their email address on record is they can unsubscribe they can they can check different newsletter preferences etc uh we also make this really easy to do like we offer facebook and google buttons if someone doesn't want to type their email they can just uh, sign in with those Uh, so we're really focused on that very first conversion point which is how do we get people who who feel some sort of affinity toward your site to essentially join it to register um, and can we do that really easily? And can we maximize those conversions? Because if we get people to do that, they're now in your CRM. They're now signed into your site. That provides the basis and the foundation for everything that comes next. And so you you might have an idea then, okay, I, I know I want to have a, um, a metered paywall, something like that. Or I know I want to have uh, a paid newsletter or whatever it is, membership program. Maybe you have no idea, though. And really, all this was for was just to start to figure out who, you know, what those people, what their engagement patterns look like. And we're uniquely able to do that because that user is logged in. It's the same as if they're using, you know, when you're using Netflix. Like Netflix can tell um, how often you're engaging, what genres you're watching, so they can suggest good, you know, good content. Um, we don't track individual articles and stuff like that, but we, we give the publisher a sense of what their most engaged users are reading, which then gives them a really strong data basis to build some sort of product. So they can use that as sort of a product discovery tool to say, huh, um, our most engaged users are reading a lot of this content, and, but the, or they're only visiting once a week, but when they visit, they, they do a deep dive or something like this. Like they can figure that out just with that. And I, that's what I would encourage them to do. If you really have no idea what kind of business model you wanna you wanna do, you should at least be using us to collect emails and and get those get that email list into a CRM as opposed to just standing alone as an email list. So yeah, so I'd I'd say that's that's really the the first thing an organization should use Pico to do to figure out kind of like what comes next. And then in terms of experimenting, most publishers have an idea of like what their audience might expect from them in terms of a membership, a subscription, et cetera, a donation product, a paid newsletter product, et cetera. Um, So we don't have to usually give a lot of guidance on that, but we'll then give guidance in terms of where maybe they should should place the paywall. Should they even have a paywall? What pricing might be appropriate? Do they use trials or not? Uh, We see a lot of publishers. I'm trying to encourage a lot of our publishers to leverage our group subscription tool because it's just targeting a completely different revenue stream. So that's like, oh, for a local news site, can we get local businesses to underwrite our, our news, but then also to offer membership in our news sites as a perk to employees, as a benefit? So thinking in terms of like, where are all the interesting places you can, you can get revenue, um, we, we like people to think through that too and then help them realize that
1: with our product. That's an interesting thing. I think many people might think of group sales as an enterprise sort of thing, but it's definitely applicable for SMB publishers as well, from what it seems. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, Is there one case study you can provide on how Picker has been used to really make a change, a difference to, to, to one of your publishers that are using Picker at the moment? That you, that you that you can share with the audience?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it's it's too soon to tell the long-term sustainability of you know any of our customers. And I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest that they're going to survive or not survive because of us. Pretty much every one of our customers, with the exception of one or two who just switched to us recently, uh, Pico is the first time they've ever done meter revenue. So we have no benchmarks really to say ah, like we've made a big difference for them because of what they were using before. What I can say is that our customers are doing very well. They're growing organically. Their audience, month over month, recurring revenues, their audiences are seem eager and willing to pay, uh, depending, you know, regardless of what the subject matter is. And and that's something that we're, we're excited to support. I guess I'll, I'll give you one specific example of how I think I'd like to think that we made a significant difference. I mean, the small ways, of course, is that we we really try to optimize conversion at the email sign-up and then conversion at the payment. And we, we put a lot of resources into minimizing UX problems of staying logged in, of, of payment conversion, of just entering your email address correctly. Uh, all those things are things that even the most expensive enterprise paywall solutions do really badly, and those affect uh, a user's willingness to continue paying or to recommend uh, this to a, a friend and so we try really hard to um, focus on just principles of good product design and uh but then also uh, thinking about tools that we can do that help generate more revenue for our customers. So the example I was going to give is that um you know we we started out with just uh, metered paywall as as our first product. And we noticed that with some local news sites, there was one that had launched on Kickstarter, and you know, these Kickstarter supporters were giving way more than the listed price on the subscription. And Mm -hmm. it's like, hmm, it would be really great if we could like figure out how to capture this willingness to support this site and not just pay the minimum of the paid subscription. And so that's when we, we designed our membership tool that gave a bunch of different tiers and that allowed, you know, any of our publishers now to to create benefits at each tier that you know would, would draw people down toward the most expensive levels if they felt so obliged, but also made that site accessible to people at a very low-cost level. And it worked really well. Um, you know, the average revenue per user on those sites, is, is the ones that are using membership, is, is very high, um, higher than the traditional paywall. And um, I, I don't think we have enough data yet to quite compare apples to apples to say, you know, to give specific numbers, but uh, it's impressive how many people, even a small number of them who will pay much more because they want that dinner once a year with the, with the editor in chief and, you know, a couple of the writers or something like that, or they want to participate in, um, you know, VIP get togethers. Um, Because again, it's a community. And uh, so, yeah, so building out that tool for us was just such a obvious win of how we could, we could think beyond the traditional business models and try to help publishers um, meet their audience where they're at in terms of willing to pay for things that current tools might not even give them the option to charge for, so to speak.
1: Very nice. That sounds very interesting, Jason. Let's let's look ahead now. So, what's what do you think the current industry or like with what you got with the CRM um, solutions in our space? What do you think? People are going to look forward towards more. Do you think there's going to be a point where we're going to hit critical mass in terms of publishers adopting CRM-specific solutions, publishing specific solutions around CRMs? And, um, yeah, what's the, what do you think the future lies ahead?
0: I think the future for us is getting, um, I mean, it, it's really boring stuff right now. For example, we're only on WordPress at the moment, but we're about to ship in the next couple of weeks and i don't know when this podcast is going to air but um you know sometime of uh, early summer uh, late spring we're we're going to ship access to all sites not just wordpress so stuff like that that's like really boring but actually a big lift on the engineering side is is um you know that's progress to us this is allowing all sites to be, to be able to do this and we're going to really double down on our pop-up tools and making them state-of-the-art and uh, right now they're really good but they're not there's uh, there's not a lot of um, degrees of freedom for the publisher to be able to customize whether it slides up from the bottom or or it pops up from the side or whatever it is. I think in terms of new stuff that we plan to develop that I think will move the industry forward it, is thinking about well uh, what needs to integrate with the CRM like do we need to do we need to integrate with Shopify because publishers are selling you know merchandise and stuff like that. Do we need to integrate with Eventbrite so that um, when you sell ticket on Eventbrite, that, that list is basically the same as your your CRM list, as your uh, Pico list, and then also on analytics, how can we how can we remove as much of the uncertainty around marketing decisions that a publisher might have? Uh, can we give you segments of customers? Can we help you segment people in your funnel? So that you're not just using basic input outputs like, oh, frequency of visit. This person visited more than six times this month. Therefore, they are going to be segmented as this type of customer and they're going to get that marketing treatment. Versus, can we figure out the four or five clusters of users who behave maybe very differently but end up paying? And then very quickly figure out which segment does does a lead fall into? And we can help you make those decisions so that you don't have to sit there looking at your dashboard, having no idea what trial offer to offer or, you know, what email campaign to give them. So these are the things that we want to spend a lot of time on. And the fact that we work across so many different publishers, um, we're able to see patterns. And, um, you know, I think everyone can win from those in a way that, you know, it, by yourself, you're just not able to realize, especially if you're a small publisher who doesn't have a data science team, who doesn't, maybe doesn't even have an engineer, doesn't even have an audience development person. So that's, that's what we're doubling down on this year.
1: Very much look forward to seeing that because yeah, it's also applicable to me as well. I very much look forward to seeing that. And just to finish off with you, Jason, mm-hmm. since you've been a serial entrepreneur, you've been able to get fundraising, venture capital for several times now. What are some of the comments, what's, some, what's um, something if you went back to in the past and told yourself from the first day you started, what's one of the one key advice to give yourself that everyone should know about, particularly being an entrepreneur?
0: Oh, gosh. Well, fundraising is hard. <laughs> it's very hard. I think the one thing that, especially if you're in an, in an out-of-favor market, which to m- most of the investors that we talk to for the years that we have been fundraising for PennyPass and at Pico, you know, we we have been in in a media market that a lot of venture capitalists see as a function of advertising, and mm-hmm. so as, with the death of ads, like oh well, media is dead, and they just have no appetite to invest in it. That obviously is short sighted, uh, but you do have to combat that, and I think the the first lesson from that is you can't convince most most investors have a way of looking at the world you shouldn't spend much time trying to convince them you just move on and I think uh, we spent so much time in the beginning trying to convince investors that just did not see the world the way we did if they don't see it right away and they're out there believe me I, 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 I did not think it at first I was like oh my god everyone believe this we have to convince at least some of them so that we get anything but we found them it took a while but we found them and everyone who's on our cap table right now really truly believes in the future of this industry of the market that is yet to come and it's exciting to have people who who like you you can give them any news story about the decline of this or that or the rise of something else and they're completely unshaken they they believe along with us and the other the only other piece of funding advice that i'd give that I, i didn't understand until i became an entrepreneur is that um, when, a, when an investor says no, it almost always is not because you necessarily have a bad idea or that you're not fundable. It's funny. Investors have very specific things they're looking for at a very specific point of time, whether they're in the last year of their fund and they really need a company that fits a very specific growth uh, pattern for them to get the returns they need to show by year 10 of their fund or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, Or they have a very specific thesis to find the investor. A both really likes you and believes in you, but then also B, like you're able to match all the weird circumstances that they're trying to fit this, you know, these puzzle pieces together to construct their own fund for their own investors. It's a very difficult job for them, and so uh, I think that's the other thing that a lot of entrepreneurs raising money don't understand, especially first-time founders or or early-stage entrepreneurs that. Um, and investors have so many different criteria that they're trying to compose a portfolio with that, um, you know, you have, to, you have to also try to screen for that. So now, obviously, if you have a really hot startup, um, everyone wants to put money in. But, you know, most, most startups are not that, at least in the beginning. Most startups are not obvious. They are not growing super fast. At least the ones that I think usually have the most impact down the road are the ones that, like, it was kind of tough in the beginning. And maybe I'm just speaking from personal bias because that's what it was for us. And obviously, our path is not certain at all. We are far away from being very successful. But but I think we enough of us and enough of our investors see see the path now for Pico that this last round was you know it was it, the, the script changed. Um, people were really excited to to invest and it, it felt good. Um, so it will happen. You just have to hang in there.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, you hanged in there and I think now you're really tackling a space which is very niche and tackling the main subscriber revenue issues. So with that, thank you very much for joining us, Jason. We really appreciate it. That was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, likewise. I really appreciate it. talk. thanks. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing Podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit
0: stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.